Welcome to Dark Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we're talking about chapter nine of The Subtle Knife, Theft. goodness i feel like it's been forever yeah it's been such a long time since we've done a book episode and i think we probably also said that last book episode but it has yeah we uh would say we're sorry for like not bringing out book episodes often but we're not because it meant that you got to have the simone interview and that was so much fun simone kirby is a beautiful wonderful friendly human being and if you haven't if you haven't watched the series watch the series and then if you haven't listened to the interview go listen to the interview because it's great <laughs> absolutely yeah we had such a great time and thank you for all your lovely comments about the interview as well we do see all of them and it's really sweet that uh, a lot of you think that we're good interviewers which is a really nice compliment so thank you and yeah Simone was just bloody lovely um, we knew that she would be we were so excited to speak to her it was great yay <laughs> yay I mean, I suppose speaking of interviews, we've got a couple more lined up. We will be speaking to Russell Dodgson. Uh, We're doing the classic timeline thing of when this episode has gone out, we will have already spoken to him again, but Mm -hmm. the episode probably won't be with you yet. Um, But yeah, obviously we spoke to Russell back in season one. He's the VFX supervisor on the His Dark Materials TV show and he was so bloody lovely and we can't wait to talk to him uh, about season two because so much amazing yeah many spectre questions (laughs) I'm so excited (laughs) exactly and we haven't announced this yet and I haven't even asked Rach if it's okay if I say this but I'm just gonna say it anyway do it oh my god yes (laughs) (laughs) we will be speaking to Jane Tranter who is basically kind of the creator of the TV show. Um, Everybody that we've spoken to has said that it was her brainchild to bring it to TV. And we've been trying to get hold of Jane for a long time. And she's obviously a very busy woman. But we are so excited to speak to Jane because we have so many questions. Yes. Oh, my God. I am so excited to talk to her also like i've just i've also been watching loads of stuff that she's produced recently by accident i've recently been watching a discovery of witches which i think mm-hmm. she's also a producer on and uh hate susie with oh, the, it's got yet. billy piper in it also really good like so good and i'm now i think i'm just like a massive jane tranter fan now <laughs> everything she's worked on is so good <laughs> do you know what else she was a i think executive producer on Mm-mm. succession Oh my god! <laughs> so good. I love Succession. <laughs> yes, it's so Jane. fucking good. Yes, Jane. Mm-hmm. Absolute boss. We love her, and we're so excited to talk to her. Definitely, yeah, super excited. I've been like compiling questions for Jane since the fucking first episode of the first season aired. I'm like, yeah. I'm <laughs> about this. <laughs> and now we actually get to. I I'm know. so excited. So yeah, if you have any questions for Jane, it is not too late to send in those questions to us at her.materialspod at gmail.com. Yes, yes. send us in. Whoop, whoop, whoop. 
we have to give a shout out to a new patron called Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. We love you. We do. And thank you so much, Melissa, for your many emails because we have loved reading them. They are great. And we will definitely be picking some of those out for our mailbag episode when we get around to it. But yes, love hearing your opinions. And yeah, thank you for for pledging and becoming a patron. Yay. Yay. Yes, yes. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but (laughs) Faye sounds particularly lovely on this episode because because of all of our amazing patrons, we've been able to upgrade our audio setup. We have up till now been working from... Uh, Mike that we scrounged together the money for when we very first started the podcast Mm -hmm. that is good but was great when we were both in the same room but isn't quite fit for purpose when we're recording separately and I've been stealing my partner's microphone and basically because of our amazing patrons we've been able to actually afford to buy like a decent mic set up and it's amazing and we couldn't be more grateful. Yes thank you so much it is unbelievable to both of us that there are people that want to give us money to do this podcast um and getting enough money to buy a decent mic was like a huge milestone for us because we didn't ever think Mm -hmm. that we'd ever really have any patrons or anyone even listening to us so to be able to to do this is 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 really really great so yeah thank you so much um to all of our patrons who have made this happen really because we wouldn't have been able to do it without you and personally I was getting really sick of using that shitty mic that I was using before (laughs) um because it just picked up everything it wasn't the correct mic for podcasting especially in my old flat in a very large room um it wasn't it wasn't great um so yes thank you Faye, you appear to be podcasting from a new setting. <laughs> yes. Tell me what's been going on in your life. Like, I have, I need a catch-up. The audience needs a catch-up. Oh my God, okay, okay. I've been in the same place for the past month. <laughs> I've literally not moved out of this chair. What have you been up to? <laughs> so I have moved house. I did a ah. move. Yes, I've moved. Um, I am now living with two lovely housemates who I love. One of them is my bestest friend in the world. What about me? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> one of Rude. one of two of my bestest friends in the world. <laughs> I'm so offended. I'm so sorry. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's a really nice place. I'm really happy to be in. It was just, last week was obviously a stressful week because moving is just stressful anyway. Um, moving in a pandemic is also stressful, and just like some personal stuff on top of that made it even more stressful. So um, I'm glad to be in and settled and yeah just feeling good got a nice new room and a nice new flat and I'm sad that Rach can't come over and see it yet but I'm excited for when she can yes yeah I too I'm sad that I can't visit I'm sad I couldn't help you move and that you had to go through it all (laughs) without the extra (laughs) pair of hands but yeah I'm glad that you're in yeah yeah, me too. Me too. And I, I gave Rachel a little video tour of, of the flats. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, speaking of my housemate, I wanted to talk a little bit about music. Um, there's actually two things I wanted to say about music. One is my housemate is in a band called Breakfast with Bears. They do like kind of like sad boy emo music but also some like quite upbeat like rock stuff as well so if you are 
into that kind of stuff um would recommend giving them a listen uh, my housemate zach is the singer and he has a lovely voice um and they have been working really hard to put out an ep which is coming out soon and they've got they've released two songs and i feel for them a lot actually because they formed just at the beginning of lockdown so they, i think they managed to play one gig and they've managed to like record their ep and all that kind of stuff which is it's not easy to do normally but it's also not easy to do when you can't be in the same fucking room as the rest of your bandmates yeah <laughs> so we'll we'll put like the links to their socials and like spotify and stuff in the description um i love that your house is such like a musically podcasty creative house it's so exciting yeah definitely yeah i really hope that we can borrow zach's music skills at some point <laughs> oh yes absolutely we'll rope him in but yeah um i don't i, I I think that it's probably been put out there through just us talking, but Rach and I are both huge fans of just music in general. And before before this all happened, we used to go to many a gig. So um, yeah. can't wait to go to gigs again. That would be nice. <laughs> I do not miss the shit beer, but I do mm. miss the music. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Mm. The other thing that I wanted to, to talk about, and Rach can talk to this as well, is... Buffering the Vampire Slayer released an episode of their podcast for Once More With Feeling, which is the musical episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I just wanted to take a quick sec to just fangirl about the episode because it was so fucking good. Oh my God, so good. So we basically started this podcast because we were enjoying Buffering and we were like, I want to do that. I think we maybe, I don't know. Well, you said this because I was too busy being far too scared to think about talking on a microphone. Um, and they've just been like an absolute inspiration. And you guys know that we spoke to Kristen in one of our book club episodes. And we're, who knows, maybe one day Jenny will email us back. <laughs> Jenny. Come on, Jenny. Email us um, back. <laughs> so it's just so exciting to, for like these people who inspired us to get into podcasting to have done such an amazing milestone episode and fucking knocked it out of the park like so great well done definitely 100 percent. and i've been going through a bit of a rough time recently and it's been a real high point in my life to have that episode you they just put so much love and care into it and it i'm just in awe of them and i would implore you all to go and listen i think even if even if you're a Buffy fan and you haven't listened to Buffering, you could just jump in at that episode and have a listen if you didn't want to do their full podcast, uh, but would definitely recommend. Um, and like all their songs are on from the um, from the episode are on Spotify, which ah, it's just so great. Um, how are you, Rich? I haven't spoken about you yet. Hooey. Um, I'm all right. Lockdown 7.5 billion <laughs> is... Uh, affecting me as would be expected uh it feels never-ending it feels exactly the same as before but also somehow infinitely worse um yeah yeah <laughs> it's just a weird situation really isn't it like i'm fine i'm pootling along i fucking mm. did my taxes in january i've had a big like not so spring clean because it's not spring yet because it's fucking freezing outside <laughs> I've had like a big clean. I've done my first shop update of the year. I'm feeling like kind of good about that stuff. But equally, what I wouldn't fucking give to like have a pint in Ugh, a pub. God, I don't even give that much of a shit about the pub. I just want to like see you. I, what I wouldn't give to just come to your house and hang out. Like, honestly, these 
walls. These damp, damp walls of my fucking house that are damp and I hate them. I don't want to be in them anymore. (laughs) I totally feel you. Like This lockdown has hit really hard, which is why I'm actually, for all the stress and all the like personal shit, why I'm actually quite grateful to have moved during this lockdown, just because it's a fucking change of scenery and like it gave me Mm. something to do for like three weeks to a month like and it was stressful obviously but it the fucking like monotony of lockdown is just so shit we're coming up to a full year basically and it's there's no end in sight and it's fine it's fine it's fine we'll survive it but i am feeling that like the lost year kind of vibe yeah (laughs) you know i know i know i suppose in in good news we have a vaccine hopefully it'll continue to work against all these new fucking strains that seem to be popping up everywhere but my grandparents have had their first dose of the vaccine as have my dad i i love to hear the vaccine news i love it when people say like oh my dad's had it or like my mum's had it or whatever i'm like yay tell me more <laughs> yeah my nan's had hers and my mum and dad are eligible because dad turned 60 this year so that means that he can be on the list a little bit sooner than he would have been before yeah yeah <laughs> ah, yeah <laughs> yes 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 i'm just so excited for my pals that are vulnerable that are gonna f- be able to go out again like I can whinge all I want about how hard it's been being in the house, but I've been able to like physically leave my home for the first like big chunk of time. Quite a few people I know just physically weren't allowed to leave their houses or it just wasn't safe. And I just, I really feel for them. And I'm really fucking glad that they're like nice and high on the list to get that fucking vaccine and be able to get out the house. That would be so nice. (laughs) Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. I really feel for those people. It's, it's shit. It's just so shit. I wonder how well this is going to (laughs) age. Yeah, interesting, isn't it? Um, We've had like some comments which always make me chuckle where like people have been listening to obviously uh, to us from the beginning and like us talking about 2020 and 2019 and being like, oh, I can't wait for 2020. We're going to do all this stuff. We've got all these plans. And they're like, oh, honey, no. (laughs) No. Uh, Oh, you sweet, sweet children. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I feel like looking back on this, maybe next, who knows, maybe next year, if things get back to normal, we'll be looking back and it's like, oh my God, who are those miserable lockdown bitches? Know, <laughs> like, what is wrong with them? Before we start talking about chapter nine, I've got to ask you, what would your demon have been this oh last God. few weeks? I completely <laughs> forgot about that. I was just ready to get straight into it. I have just gone really simple. I was trying to think of it the other day and I've been so busy that I'm just going to have a bee as a demon and a little busy bee. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's really cute. Yeah. I like that. Just, I feel, I love bees and uh, that I feel like it would have just been really cute to have a little bee just like on my shoulder while I was doing all my stuff and, you know, being a busy bee. Yes. I love bees too. As you well know, I have a bee on my knee. You do. <laughs> you do. I literally have a, the bee's knees. Yes. Oh, love a good bee. Like mm-hmm. a proper like bumbly bumblebee as well. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. a big fat one. Mm. Mm-hmm. With like big polleny trousers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, when they like get all their pollen and it just looks like a massive pair of pantalones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Uh, what about you? What would your demon be? I have been really, really struggling with getting out of bed recently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've been having like really vivid dreams and also just having that feeling you know when you just kind of feel like you're drowning in the duvet and you but it's like kind of blissful and you just physically can't wake up in the morning and it's just sleep is like so sweet so 
thinking of animals that are just sleepy all the time obviously did the most cursory of googles and possums oh are the sleepiest and it also made me think of like all the sassy depression possum memes that exist and that feels really apt for me right now i love those so much my favorite one of those is um it says something like uh if gay means i'm happy then i'm not gay (laughs) (laughs) it's just like this little possum with like a little rainbow pride rainbow around it so funny oh i love those so much yeah yeah, it feels very appropriate. The like meme symbol of like perpetual depressive feelings, which feels very, very lockdowny, and also mm. the sleepiest animal, which feels very, very me right now. So yeah, love little possum, and also they're just like really fucking hilarious and amazing when they scream. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and there's like a oh my god, there's a video. I'll find it. I'll share it with you. Um, of like a donut shop. And someone opens a donut box and there's just like a really fat possum that's like oh. bitten a hole in the back of the donut box and climbed in and eating all the donuts. And there's just like one left and he's just laying there like, I can't eat the last donut. <laughs> no. <laughs> and it makes me really happy. So oh. I will send that to you. Yes, possum. please. Please do. Please do. Cute. Yeah. Cute, cute, cute. Shall we now get into the episode? Shall we yes. do it? Yes. Last chapter, Will and Lyra went to the Tower of the Angels to find the knife. In the tower, they found a man with the knife who attacked them. Will fought and won, but lost two fingers in the process. Giacomo Paradisi told Will that he's now the bearer of the subtle knife and showed him how to use it. In this chapter, Lyra and Will go back to Creepy Charles's house to get the alethiometer. Their plan is very nearly thwarted when he shows up with Mrs. Fucking Coulter, but they do manage to get away. And Lyra finally remembers why she recognises Creepy Charles. We pick up where we left off. Uh, We've had quite a few chapters with Lyra and Will now. I've been enjoying the action, but I'm missing, I'm missing Lee. Not going to lie, missing Lee scores me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Before the writing even begins... This chapter gives us a spoiler of what's to come because the tiny illustration icon at the beginning of the chapter is a little monkey prick. So we know shit's about to get real. It is. (laughs) I also, on the kind of note of illustrations, feel sorry for the person that had to decide where, do you know, we've got in our books, we've got the icons that show, we've got like the knife for like Chittagatse world and then the hornbeam trees for Will's Oxford and the alethiometer for Lyra's world at the top. I feel sorry for the person that had to decide where they go in this book because we flip between Chittagatse and Will's Oxford so many times that I'm like, how do you decide? (laughs) I didn't even think of that. I didn't even look at the page corners. I will now be checking as we get to each bit where we are according to the corner. (laughs) There's a bit where like, where like Lyra and Will are like talking through the window and like on one page it's a hornbeam and on the other it's the knife. And I was like, that poor person that had to decide what was going on. (laughs) If it was me doing it i'd have been like i'm sorry but for this chapter can i just add them like down the margin of yes. the page as well and <laughs> just be like tree knife tree knife tree knife <laughs> every fucking paragraph so my literally my first note is poor will poor fucking will like this sounds horrible he has literally last chapter 
They've just gotten away. He's had his fingers chopped off. He's still very, very freshly wounded. And they first thing they do is go back to the cafe and he manages to like get a wash and they get a new set of clothes because the time for taking care of things from shops was over. Exactly. They don't give a shit about stealing anymore. It's an emergency now, which it, it definitely is. He's lost two fucking fingers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolute emergency. So there's a bit that I, I quite like because it, it's in my brain, it's quite gory anyway, but it says uh, when he's talking about um, how like weak and stuff he feels from um, bleeding out, uh, it says when he looked at them, he felt sick and his heart beat faster. And that in turn seemed to make the bleeding even worse. Well, if your heart's beating faster, then it's pumping blood around your body faster. And like, I don't know if like, if that's a scientific thing that you would lose more blood if that happened, but I enjoy Phil using that because it, it, it gives you like the, um, the visual of, of that happening. And I, I love that because I love the gore. Also, it's an impossible circle. Like, oh no, I'm bleeding faster. That's making me panic. That's raising my heart rate. That's making me bleed faster, which is making me panic, which is raising my heart rate. And there's like, yeah, I mean, we'll obviously take some deep breaths and settle himself, but there's a situation there in which you just can't do that. <laughs> so he's basically just getting blood everywhere. Yeah, and then he washes it and the water makes it worse as well, which I'm not surprised by. One of the things that you are told when you, when I, that my cursory Googling has told me is that like, if you are still bleeding, maybe don't get it wet because that can make the bleeding worse because essentially you're like drawing even more out. That's interesting. I also have a question, uh, which we won't be able to answer because we are not doctors, but how long does it take someone to bleed out? Because he has been bleeding for a long time now and continues to bleed throughout this chapter. Surely he would have lost most of his blood by now. I guess it depends on the rate of flow. Uh, I have not checked, but it's not like he's hit a major artery, mm. which obviously is the one that like, uh, they're the bad ones. I, I hear. Yeah, they're the bad ones. You heard, you heard it here first. Um, <laughs> good if you're a vampire, bad if you're a human. Um, <laughs> the feeling of having that bandage tied again really tightly and Will having to like grit his teeth and like wipe a tear from his eye as Lyra tries to tie the bandage tightly is... Ugh, it kind of hits me in the feels. Just like, he doesn't need to try to be so brave. Like, I'm really here for him just crying because it hurts because he damn well deserves to be able to cry if he needs to. But also his whole like gritting his teeth and like, ugh, just kind of breaks my heart. So I, and this is just my personal experience, but I relate crying because something hurts as, as like to my childhood. Like I can't remember the last time I cried because I was in physical pain. I've not cried when I've hurt myself unless I'm frustrated about why I've done it. It's the frustration that makes me cry. Because I feel like when you were a kid or when I was a kid and like you'd fall over and like scrape your knee or whatever, it was more the shock that you cried about rather than like, oh, it hurts. You'd just be like, ah. Whereas now I can't say I've fallen over and scraped my, my knee in a while, but if I've like hurt myself, sometimes I think your eye, my, my eyes will water just because sometimes your eyes water when you're in a lot of pain. But yeah, I haven't like cried about physical pain for a very long time. Emotional pain, however, we are the fucking queens of. Oh, gotcha. Every fucking morning, <laughs> bitch, don't worry oh, about babe. that. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think back. I'm like, the most recent bad thing I've done is obviously I've constantly accidentally burned myself on the oven. It seems to be a trend. But um, mm. 
I like sprained my ankle back in October. Oh yeah. And that didn't make me cry. I was mad. I was angry that I'd done it. But I didn't have a cry. And when I had my massive fucking huge leg tattoo, didn't make me cry. Even though that's like a big old prolonged period of pain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even when they did the little ditch in the back of my knee. Oh. <laughs> that's oh, no. the worst. That made me laugh though, because it was just so shocking. <laughs> that's what I mean when Will laughs. Like that's why you know, I like I it. know that laughter. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Anyway, so this is a quite a big moment. He wants Lyra to take the letters from his dad and put them in her backpack, which again, just look at how their relationship's growing. They really trust each other now. And he she's like, I won't read them. And he's like, I don't I don't care if you read them. That's kind of why I gave them to you. Like you can read them if you want. Oh. Um which is which is sweet. Yeah. And then he lay on the bed and pushed the cat aside and fell asleep. The cat is still there. The cat is staying strong, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sticking with them, and I'm here for it. I love this cat. Me too. And I'm ha- happy that they're having a little sleep because they need it. And then we do like a little teeny tiny time jump. And the heist begins. The heist begins, yeah. They're back in the lane outside Charles's house. They're trying to figure out what they're going to do. So it says, they've taken a long time to get to Sir Charles's house, moving mainly in Chittagatse, with frequent stops to cut through and check their position in Will's world, closing the windows as soon as they knew where they were. So that's the kind of, that's how they're going to do this, really. They're going to cut through and keep checking where they are in Chittagatse and like moving back between the worlds, which is why I think it's really difficult for the person that had to put their little symbols at the top of the book. Yes. <laughs> but it's a really clever way to do it. And thank God they found the knife right, because they wouldn't have been able to do it without it. Yeah, it's so it's so clever. There's, It's just really well done. I think it's a really great idea. I remember reading this as a kid and being like, oh my God, that's so clever. Like they can literally just cut through and stick their arm through and like not even be in that much danger, which obviously we're about to find out is the plan, but is not how it plays out. Yeah. 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 So clever. And I love the dance of it. The like, it feels like a when you were like learning coordinates or directions and stuff at school or like a game you'd play at like a, a like a school party or something where you'd like blindfold someone and be like three steps forward and one step to the side and it's kind of the dance that will's doing now of like trying to work out locations i'd be awful i have a terrible sense of direction sometimes i walk into a shop like walking like in one direction down the road walk into a shop turn around and start accidentally walking back the way i came because (laughs) i have such a shit sense of direction um i would be really bad at this I have a real yeah, I'm my I have a good sense of direction actually. I think I'd be quite good at this. Um the only thing that I think would throw me off is that we all know I have a terrible memory, so like when Will's trying to remember like how many steps it was and all that kind of stuff, I think that's where I'd it'd throw me off and I'd forget how many steps I'd have to go. But but yeah, sense of direction I'm quite good at. Um I'll get you out of those shops when you're lost, Rich, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I will need it. I'm awful. Uh, our pal the cat is still with them following them wherever they go because it seems like she feels safe when she's around them i love this cat so much me too they find themselves in like a grassy parkland surrounding a big white villa and so they're they're kind of like really exposed where they are in chitagatsi but they're like within the like quite enclosed estate of sir charles's house in oxford so it's quite like very different terrain on either side of whatever the veil is between the worlds so like i really like that and how that must like introduces so much tension as well yeah definitely absolutely they're trying to work out how to get into sir charles's study 
Um, but there's a huge like iron fence around the like perimeter of his house, which is no match for the knife because they can ju- just chop out a few bars and go straight through. I'm imagining how satisfying that looks oh, and I'm really here for it. Yes, yes. It makes me think of um, like any of those like oddly satisfying videos that you see on like Reddit or like TikToks yes. where it's like mm-hmm. things like slicing through things like really like nicely. And I'm like, oh, I love anything like that. Somebody cut, I don't know why somebody cutting up a bar of soap with a razor blade is so satisfying to watch, but it is, it is. And I kind of hate that (laughs) for sure. (laughs) Yes. We have a plan, which we've kind of discussed. So Will's going to cut through to Chittagatse where he thinks the study is and then cut back into the study, reach for the alethiometer, grab that bitch, close the window, done. And he's leaving Lyra across the lawn with a little window to peep through to keep a lookout to see if anyone's going to come home, which mm-hmm. I also love. Great plan. Yes. Great plan. So we've got two windows open at any one time. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, and then we have Pan as a little tawny owl, which I wanted to give a shout out to because that's fucking cute. Yes, yes. And then they start cutting to find the exact exactly the right spot. Uh, there's a bit here, right, that I wanted, I suppose, to like tentatively call out because I don't know if it's just me reading too much into it. But the fact that I've even read into it in the first place means that it probably isn't me reading too much into it. Lyra, she's crouching. She's thinking about Sir Charles. There's a line where it says, Sir Charles had sat, inside, had sat inside it on the window seat only that morning and crossed his legs and arranged the creases in his trousers. And I just don't enjoy that line of arranging the creases in his trousers. It makes me think of other things which are horrendous. Oh, see, I didn't think of it that way. I thought of it as like a weird, again, that like slight uh, queer villain coding that I was picking up on of like him mm. being quite like prim and prim and proper and like effeminate in the way that he sits in the way that he would like you might describe a woman sitting in a big skirt and arranging the creases in her skirt it kind of pulls on that a little bit for me more than it does on the creepy vibes that I think you're picking up <laughs> I like your reading of it better not the queer coding but just the non-creepiness because my mind er- er- like immediately went to horrendous creepy places which I don't know what that says about me <clears throat> but but here we are <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh god I hope it's not that it was yeah yeah I'm I'm reading it I'm reading it my way <laughs> good yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna start reading it your way too <laughs> Will is trying to find the alethiometer in the study has gone off to do that Lyra's keeping watch and we have another Rolls Royce advert from <laughs> Philip Pullman here where Lyra Here's a crunching sound, the sound of tyres on gravel. She hadn't heard the car's engine at all. Ooh, the Rolls-Royce, its engine is so silent. Mm. <laughs> it's so quiet, you'd never hear it. <laughs> just, yeah, I just feel like Phil is really into this car. Oh, God, 100%. I hope it, do, you think he ever, do you think he ever got one? Do you think he had a Rolls-Royce at any point in his life? Maybe. Maybe it's his aspirational car. I mean, surely. If you wanted one, you could have one. We yeah. need to find out if Phil owns a Rolls Royce. <laughs> Let's get on it. Let's find out. Somebody contact the DVLA. <laughs> <laughs> Would they just offer up that information? Who knows? Probably not. <laughs> um, so yeah, so Charles is coming back. They thought the house was empty. The danger has just stepped up a notch. And you know what's going to step up the danger a notch once again? Oh boy. Is this somebody else is getting out of the car too? Oh my God. A woman. A woman who is Mrs. Coulter. Oh my God, the monkey spoiled it for us at the beginning, but I'm still shocked to find out that it's Mrs. fucking Coulter. 
Oh my god. I'm I am happy to see her again. Um to be yes. fair. It's been a little while. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm just I'm really here for like I feel like I wrote it as one of my notes. It's just like this chapter is like a lesson in creating and dispersing tension. Mm, yes. Because like it's not just that they're like breaking into someone's house to steal something, which feels like relatively low risk at the point that Will has the idea of how he's gonna do it. But then like unbeknownst to Will, this car is pulling up and like you think, oh God, is he gonna and like just the tension just builds and I'm just I'm so here for it. Yes. Yes. No, hundred percent. It is it is really great, but also stressful. <laughs> it's Mrs. Coulter. Will doesn't know that. Just Lyra knows that. Lyra's the only person that's seen this. We're back with Will and he's in Chichigatse trying to figure out where the study is. What I found interesting about this bit is that when he thought he was in the right spot, he stopped and held out the knife again, feeling forward carefully. These little invisible gaps were were anywhere, but not everywhere, or any slash of the knife would open a window. And that was just interesting to me because I kind of forget that when I think about the knife. I forget that you have to find those like bits in the air that like feel like a snag. Because yeah, if not, then you'd be fucking cutting windows everywhere. Yeah, I love that. Mm. Yeah, like we said, he's opening and closing holes to find the study. He he finds one basically <clears throat> and he cuts through to the glass cabinet where the alethiometer was, but it's not there. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, Tension bum, increases bum. another degree. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And this is so stressful. I hate this kind of like um, mild peril. <laughs> it's not mild, It's but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like perpetual and enduring relatively low level of peril (laughs) yeah it annoys me in like um in tv shows and stuff where things like this happen where there's like something you've planned something and then the plan goes wrong or there's like a tiny bit of like mild peril that you have to like overcome and i'm like it stresses me out this is a bit more than mild peril but um yeah i get stressed about this kind of stuff like it was supposed to be there and it's not that's so annoying (laughs) I mean, they've worked so hard. Like, he's done all of this very clever manoeuvring. He's done his, like, two steps to the left, one to the right, 90 degrees. All of his, like, hard work and thinking while his hand is throbbing Mm. because he's in so much pain. And it's for nothing because the lithiometer just isn't there. It's like, oh, for fuck's sake. And then he hears the gravel Mm -hmm. and, like, stops still and manages to, like close up a window and find a spot in the room where he can like hide because he knows the alethiometer isn't there he's looked through all the places it could be oh god people are coming i have to hide but i also have to stay here because i know the people that are coming are probably the people that have the alethiometer ah! yeah. and the yeah. fact as well that like he'd, he'd been cutting holes so he could just like reach a hand through the fact that he now has to go in himself like all of him into the room is also very very stressful and like hide behind the sofa will hiding behind the sofa in this moment really pulls me back to lyra in the retiring room in the first chapter of that book because she's hiding behind a big armchair and we were commenting on how that's such a shit place to hide because anyone that's like i feel the same way about the sofa a little bit because like unless the sofa is quite close to the wall and even mm. then, like, how how is this a good place to hide, Will? Like, anyone that's standing near to the sofa will be able to see over the back of the sofa. He must have to be like a little sausage on the floor. Like, well, yeah. Proper, like, laying a, down. Yeah, like, it is a super awkward place to hide. The only thing I could think of is, like, yeah, if the sofa was, like, up against something and he managed to, like, crawl in the gap, 
But like, yeah. if the surface like open a window just behind the gap or something. Yeah, if the surface like in the middle of the room and he's just like crouching behind it, that is not even really a hiding place, is it? No. <laughs> he thinks he hears crunching on the gravel. He hears the front door open. He goes to the sofa and hides behind it. Lyra's obviously. We're now, Will and Lyra are now caught up to the same point in time because when we just left Lyra, she just heard the gravel. Yeah. Lyra's run over and she sees as she approaches him that he knows it's fine. They then have a very long whisper conversation, <laughs> which I feel is unrealistic as to whether or not they'd be heard. Also hilarious to imagine him saying this without making very much sound at all because having such a like animated conversation. I really enjoy the, I don't know why it made me giggle, but the um, the visual of like Will being in that room and having the window like next to him and seeing Lyra like running towards him in Chittagatse, which I can only imagine Lyra was like being classic Lyra and like flailing around and not trying to be quiet in any way, just like legging it towards yeah. him. Like, ah! I just think that's a really funny image. Yes. <laughs> And Lyra, so Will, like, I haven't got it. It wasn't there. It's probably with him. I'm going to listen and see if he puts it back to here. And Lyra's like, no, it's worse. And I'm just imagining this entire thing, like whisper shouts. Yeah. Where you yeah, think, yeah. like, when children think they're being quiet and they're basically shouting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lyra has finally realised that two add two equals Boreal. Oh my God. Oh my God. Remember him? Remember him from Northern Lights? Remember, Remember him from the cocktail party? Ooh. Lyra does. She does now, finally. <laughs> <Fucking> finally. <laughs> <laughs> we can finally say Boreal when we're referring to this man because I've been I know. really struggling not to and I may well have slipped up. <laughs> I don't think I we remember. did, but yeah, I, I'm the same. I'm glad we can finally say that. Also, I will just say that this entire chapter really makes me need a wee. I remember, like, it reminds me of, like, it's a bit like hide-and-seek, and when I used to play hide-and-seek in school, I'd always need a wee, and I don't know why, and this whole chapter makes me need a wee, so. I was the person that would be unable to stop myself from giggling when hiding. Mm. I, mm. I mean, I'm sure the actual physical peril that is involved in this situation would make you not giggle, but I would be, like, definitely struggling not to make some kind of a noise because I'm an awkward human. <laughs> So there's um there's a bit here where I just wanted to like kind of call it out. Will tells Lyra off for being loud. He says, shush, don't stay here if you're going to make a noise. And then she says, sorry, I want to stay with you. I want to hear what they say. And then he says, hush now. I kind of read this in a way of, it feels like Lyra is looking for Will's approval here rather than just saying, so I'll be quiet and I'm staying here. She's like, I want to stay with you. I want to hear what they say. As if, if he said to her, no, you can't stay with me, she would have gone. Which doesn't seem like Lyra. Like, I feel like Lyra would have just been like, oh, sods for being loud. I'm going to stay here. Obviously, I'm going to stay here because I want to hear what they're saying. But I love how ineffective it is at the same time, though, because he's been like, shh. And instead of just being like, sorry, and then staying put, she said, sorry. I want to stay with you. <laughs> I want to like you said like the longest sentence instead of just being like sauce and then being quiet. And I I kind of love that. And that Will's hush now could just be like a I know. Yeah, <laughs> please no, that's just true. be quiet. <laughs> that's true. I just I feel like I I'm looking out for those moments now where I just feel like yeah. it doesn't feel like our Lyra. It doesn't feel like Lyra to be like oh sorry I really want to stay. It would be oh sorry, and I'm definitely staying. 
Mm. I love um, this next bit, which is Will is in Oxford world. He's in Boreal study. Lyra is in Shitagatsu. And they're so close together that they're close enough to touch, but they're still in separate worlds. Yeah. Um, I don't... I can't pinpoint why that might give me all of the feels, but I guess maybe one day we'll find out. Um, <laughs> it's a really lovely image as well. Like, yeah, yeah it's, it's really beautiful to picture. And then Lyra, like, silently tapping Will's hand and, like, him literally just sticking an arm into another world to get his hand bandaged is, like, it's such an image. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really great. I like I like that a lot as well. Charles or Boreal and Mrs. Coulter head into the study and he gives a Takai callback. Yes. A woman's voice, low and sweet, replied, How kind of you, Carlo. I haven't tasted Takai for many years. We have a first name for Boreal. It's Carlo. Carlo. And also, Mrs. Coulter's voice is low and sweet. (laughs) I really like the name Carlo Boreal. It like really rolls off the tongue really nicely when you say it without stuttering like I just did. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) When you're not fair, it rolls off the tongue great. It does. (laughs) Carla Boreal, yeah, I love it. Yeah, I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they have they have some Takai, uh, which we still need to get some Takai at some point. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to do that when we are actually in the same room, when we can be in the same room. That would be nice. So in the audiobook that I'm listening to, the it's like narrated by Philip Pullman, but then the voices of the characters are all done by different people. So it's kind of got an audio drama vibe, but it's narrated. Boreal is voiced by somebody that sounds a lot like Matt Berry. Oh, that's interesting. It's a really odd choice. Mm. So, like, picture the boss from the IT crowd, the pig from Disenchantment, Disenchanted. Like, it's a very, like, <laughs> posh posh boy voice. Mm. But it just really, like, it either is perfect or it brings me out of the moment and I can't work out which one it is. <laughs> I I wonder how... I wonder if I listen to the audiobooks after, now that I've seen the TV series, if I would struggle with it just for the pure fact that I... With Boreal, personally, I can't think of anyone better to voice him or play him than Ariane Bakari. So I wonder if, like, I would struggle with the audiobooks in that sense, uh, in the ones that have, like, different people reading the different parts, because I'm so used to the characters from the TV show. You will definitely find Lyra annoying Mm. in the audiobooks. I'm really sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's just, it's really interesting the way that they've chosen to do him, and it does reinforce that like tough like eaten-y toffee mm. old white man vibe that he gives off which is obviously very different to like the character story that Arian Bakari tells us in the tv series yeah and they're just in my head I think I'm able to separate them for that reason mm. because the like motivations behind the characters feels very different as well yeah yeah so they have a conversation here um they're kind that they're kind of at odds but it's like that weird like posh people at odds where it's like they're not really having an argument but it's clear that there's something going on here it's clear that uh mrs coulter's got no fucking time for him it's definitely clear there and it's clear that they both want something out of each other and they're trying to get it but they're trying to get it in a way that's like diplomatic in a in a way and it's all just this like tiptoeing around shit and just it's a lot of with withholding of information and really big like power plays occurring in terms of like not big power plays but like little exchanges of power based on information exchange and like it's interesting because you can see who actually has the power in the room based on who is withholding 
what level of pettiness of information yeah and like <laughs> fucking boreal's like clearly turning on his like fuck boy charm which is very ugh. it's just like i can't imagine because lyra had it and i want to find her i can't imagine why you would she's a repellent brat i'll remind you that she's my daughter then she's even more repellent because she must have resisted your charming influence on purpose no one could do it by accident ew i'm sorry mate but what the fuck do you think you're gonna get out of insulting this woman's daughter who she is looking for do you not think that perhaps she might not want to hear that you think that her daughter's a repellent brat? Why are you negging this woman based on her daughter? It is so weird. So weird. <sighs> oh, I hate it. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Also, it's so posh. Repellent brat is like the poshest insult you could throw at a mm, child. I hate it. Yeah. And Mrs. Coulter's just not having any of it. She's just like, where is she? Yeah. And then he's like, oh, I'll tell you, I promise, but you must p- tell me something first. And it's this whole like skirting around shit that I'm just like, just get on with it. Like, like you said, they're both like withholding information from each other. And it's like, oh my God, just fucking get it out. Just fucking mm. get out in the open. Another great Coulter description. Um, I'm always here for a Coulter description. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Her voice was intoxicating, soothing, sweet, musical, and young too. He longed to know what she looked like because Lyra had never described her and the face that went with this voice must be remarkable. Mm. Her, she's been, in Northern Lights, her voice was described as musical, wasn't it? Which I like a lot. I'm very here for it. Of course, of course all Boreal wants to know is what Asriel's up to. Yeah. Because he's so threatened <laughs> by that. Yep. But he calls it, when um, when Mrs. Coulter tells him what Boreal's up to, he calls it medieval. <laughs> Which is a weird comeback. Again, a weird creepy Charles comeback. Like with the uh, Beetle last chapter. Yeah. It feels like... Okay, drink Harry Potter. It feels like in this situation, Asriel is a bit of a James Potter kind of vibe in that he's like a bit of a, a bit of a dick. Yes, James Potter is a bit of a dick. We know this. Like he's a bully. We don't like him for this reason. But so yeah, Asriel's a bit of a dick, but he's got these like ambitions and people think he's a great man. And then somebody, perhaps a Snape type character who is ambitious and intellectual mm-hmm. is threatened by the person who is seen as being like great. And like mm. the like the vibe that I'm getting is very much that. And then obviously we're putting Mrs. Coulter in like a Lily Potter position here if we're going for like a love triangle scenario, but that doesn't really work because <laughs> I don't think Lily was like an amazing villainess but (laughs) um that's the vibe i get of like that threatened intellectual masculinity being threatened by like a jock kind of vibe of masculinity Mm. of like Mm. both are really toxic but on different levels of threat and i just that interaction there really says that god masculinity is just so fragile isn't it so fragile in all of its forms (laughs) (laughs) really is truly yeah yeah. Yeah, that's actually a good like analysis of that. I think it works really well. Well done. Well done to you. Thank you. Everyone take a nice big swig of Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> so she asks about the worlds because she's like, what the fuck is going on? Where am I? Why am I in a different world? I have a question, which I was hoping that you could answer. I'm just going to read the paragraph. So it says, uh, Boreal says, it is one of millions. There are openings between them, but they're not easily found. I know it does not so, but the places they have opened into have shifted, and that must be due to what Asriel's done. It seems that we can now pass directly from this world to our own, and probably to many others too. Previously, there was one world that acted as a sort of crossroads, and all the doorways opened into that. 
so you can imagine how surprised I was to see you when I came through today and how delighted that I could bring you here directly without the risk of going through Chittagatse. So does this mean that he went through a window accidentally into Lyra's world and just happened to see Mrs. Coulter there? Or has Mrs. Coulter moved through a window into this world and he found her there? I'm like confused as to what's happened here. I'm not sure. Yeah. is my answer. Um, I think Boreal... I don't know how he's been traveling between the worlds without taking and like establishing his life in Will's world without taking great risks mm. of going through Chittagatse every time, which is what he said he's been doing. What I think has occurred is Chittagatse was relatively safe to pass through before the Azrael created the uh, exploded a hole in the worlds, and that's what released more spectres which is why there's like a recently abandoned Chittagatse is that there's more spectres than usual so perhaps spectres were a risk but not as big of a risk so Boreal was willing to do the journey yeah post Asriel explosion windows have shifted Boreal has tried to do that journey again and found that instead of having to go through Chittagatse whatever one of the many windows he's used is actually a direct passage mm. or like he's gone he's tried to go through realize there's loads of specters found a different window that's a direct passage and then gone back for Coulter. yeah but it's really hard and i love that in the tv series they, they explored that relationship further of how they got Coulter and boreal into the same room yeah because in this they're just thrown in together and it's quite a throwaway comment so yeah. i don't know I don't know how hard, how hard it's been thought through, but we're just to assume that it's happened. <laughs> yeah, like the line of like, oh, I was so surprised to see you there or something. And I was like, what? Did you just like walk through a window and immediately see her? Like, what Because if Coulter's crossed the Asriel explosion anomaly, mm. she would surely have ended up in the same place as Lyra, unless that anomaly is multiple doors open next to each other. Yeah. And like, it just so happens that Lyra went to Shitagatsi and... Coulter ended up in Will's world because I don't yeah which door did Coulter go through we want to know <laughs> but the, we've already seen Coulter though in this book Torturing the Witch so mm. that was in Lyra's world right yeah so are then are you assuming that she's then gone through the Azrael explosion after that but I don't know how she's gone direct from without going through Shitagatsi because even the witches went through Shitagatsi when they mm. went through the anomaly so I wonder if she's gone through a different window that Boreal's discovered and she's been chilling in Lyra's world and Boreal's popped to oh. get her or told her of its location I, I don't oh. know you know somebody explain Phil lay it out for us <laughs> somebody help us we're having a minute let's let's move on so there's like bits here where he like calls her my dear marissa ew she wants to know why chitigatse is dangerous for adults and he explains but he doesn't fully explain which is frustrating he keeps being like oh i'll explain it or like he's being really vague like deliberately withholding and vague and i don't like that no, definitely not. There's a bit here where she's getting like more like riled up about all this stuff. And she says, what? I must know about this, Carla. Uh, this is at the heart of everything. This difference between children and adults. It contains a whole mystery of dust. This is why I must find the child. And the witches have a name for her. I nearly had it. So nearly from a witch in person. But she died too quickly. I must find the child. She has the, she has the answer somehow and I must have it. And we're seeing her obsessive nature here, especially like I must have it. And it does remind me a lot of Lyra in the terms of like, she 
both her and Lyra, it also reminds me a little bit of myself. Like they, when they want something, they have like tunnel vision and they don't think about anything else. And they're like, I have to have this thing. And I'm not thinking about how it's going to affect anyone else or anything else. I am just going after this one thing and I will do whatever I like, whatever I can to get that thing. Um, and I think they both share that trait. And I think that it is a very interesting one. Yes. So Boreal's like, it's fine. You will get Lyra. You will get the child. I have the instrument that will bring her to me. And then he starts asking questions about Marissa's bodyguards who have undergone indecision. I didn't know that she had bodyguards. Uh, they've not necessarily been mentioned before, but I'm. it's an interesting like revelation. They have no demons, so they have no fear and no imagination and no free will. And they'll fight until they're torn apart. That's horrible. Yeah. But again, with Boreal being weird and withholding with information, he's like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if you can spare one. Perhaps we'll mm. see if the spectres are interested in them. Mm. Colter's like, spectres, what are they? If he'd have just explained why adults couldn't go to Chittagatsi when she asked him three paragraphs ago, Colter would know what spectres are. But he is being weird. He's like, oh, I'll explain later, my dear. They're the reason adults can't go into the world. Dust, children, spectres, demons, indecision. Yes, it might all, It might very well work. Have some more wine. Ugh. And like, ugh, ugh, ugh. It's this weird thing. It was like, yes, if you withhold half of the information from somebody, you can come to conclusions before they can and feel very self-important and clever. But if you were to give that other inf person all the information that you had, they would probably have come to the exact same conclusions as you had, which would have made you feel less self-important and clever. So that's why he's withholding the information and like holding that small little inch of power that he has over Mrs. Coulter with this small amount of knowledge he has of this other world. Like, it's the only leverage he's got. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, another one thing before that that I wanted to call out was just him being fucking gross. Like, his treatment of Lyra, like, is gross. He says, um, so I just have to let Mrs. Coulter says, and I must have it. Um, he says, and you shall. This instrument will bring her to me, never fear. And once she's given me what I want, you can have her. Once she's given me what I want, you can have her. She's not a fucking object, Boreal. She's a fucking human being. That is fucking gross and disgusting. And I hate him. And I don't want to hear anything else from him. <laughs> he sees her as no, as like an object that has a less value than the knife or the alethiometer, which is why he's like quite happy to like play these games because he doesn't really see people as people. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> And we, Mrs. Coulter is like, I want to know everything um, and I'll hold you to that. Now tell me, what are you doing in this world? And we kind of learn Boreal's like backstory, I suppose, and how he's moved through the worlds and like what he's been doing there. Um, and it's all very like bureaucratic and a bit like, of course, you're so well connected. You're a fucking man. Like you're a straight white man in these worlds of course you've been able to move up these like ladders or whatever you want to call them really easily yeah and i'm just like meh i'm not here for it no and this entire section that's kind of coming up i feel like this is so on my little ten ten tensionometer that i've been drawing if i was drawing a little graph mm -hmm. tension went up when will couldn't find the alethiometer 
tension yeah. went up again when they heard the car pulling up and they heard people coming out and you realised it was Mrs. Coulter. Tension has kind of plateaued at this point yeah. where Lyra and Will are in this situation behind the sofa, haven't been spotted. Coulter and Boreal are having a conversation. And so throughout the entirety of this conversation, the tension is like plateaued slash decreasing a little bit because yeah. the longer they're there, the more secure you're feeling. Yeah. And I just feel like that's really clever because... I don't know about you, but like a lot of this information that we're getting is information we kind of already have being told to us in different ways with additional yeah. stuff. So it's almost like it's deliberately being on the edge of boring. <laughs> no, <laughs> to totally. try and like lull you yeah. into a sense of security. Yeah. Especially, I think that's really apparent in that big paragraph with him being like, oh, I'm like, uh, I was a spy and all that shit. And it's like, to be honest, mate, I don't care. Like, I, I'm yeah. just not bothered. <laughs> Like, yeah, the thing that piques my interest, for, the only thing that piques my interest when he's talking particularly is just that he mentions, because he's mentioning dust, he mentions that there's a team in this very city working on it. And I'm like, Mary, whoop, 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 Mary. Yeah. And that there's a man who disappeared in the North 10 or 12 years ago. And that pricks up our ears because we know that that is Will's dad and the letters. And that just ties up a nice little parcel in a neat bow for us when Will kind of realises that it's his dad that they're talking about. Um, yeah, and Will's sitting there with his heart thudding so hard that he's scared the adults will hear it. Charles was talking about his own father. So that was who the men were and what they were looking for. So we've had it like confirmed like what got Will into this situation, which I like that little parcel being tied up neatly. Definitely. <laughs> also, the bit where it's like uh, his heart was thudding so hard that he thought that they would be able to hear it reminds me very much of me five minutes before we interviewed Lin-Manuel Miranda. And I was like, Rich, my heart is beating so hard. Can you hear it? And you were like, no. <laughs> and I was like, I, I feel like he's, I feel like he's going to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, but this is uh this is interesting and this is where we kind of move back to that tension like if we're in like a bit of a plateau now we kind of we're going up we're going up the hill like if you're on a roller coaster we're going up um but all the time he was conscious of something else in the room as well as the voices of sir charles and the woman there was a shadow moving across the floor or that part of it he could see beyond the end of the sofa and past the legs of the little octagonal table but neither Sir Charles nor the woman was moving. The shadow moved in a quick, darting prowl, and it disturbed Will greatly. The only light in the room was a standard lamp beside the fireplace, so the shadow was clear and definite, but it never stopped long enough for Will to make out what it was. What could that be? Who could it be? What well, could it be? <laughs> what could it be? Indeed. I love it because we know. We know. Yeah. But Will doesn't, and I love that it's like... We're not going to be surprised when it's the little monkey prick, but yeah. we know that Will is and I'm so here for that. Definitely. Yeah. And then a classic thing. I love it when someone's like, oh, and then three things happened at once or whatever. So it's like, then two things happened. First, Sir Charles mentioned the alethiometer. For example, he said, continuing what he'd been saying, I'm very curious about this instrument. Suppose you tell me how it works. And he places it on an octag on an octagonal table at the end of the sofa. Will can see it clearly and it's almost close enough to reach. Yep. Bum, bum, bum. The second thing that happened was that the shadow fell still. The creature that was the source of it must have been perched on the back of Mrs. Coulter's chair because the light streaming over it threw its shadow clearly on the wall. 
and the moment it stopped, he realised that it was the woman's demon, a crouching monkey, turning its head this way and that, searching for something. The monkey knows who's in the room! Ah! I love the menace. (laughs) Yeah, that is another really, like, powerful image of the monkey's shadow on the wall, and obviously why they used it as the little illustration at the beginning of the chapter. But yeah, that's such... such a powerful image i love that will immediately knows that this is a demon as well he's kind of like he's picking up those vibes now and he's looking for people's demons and he like when we knew when he didn't know that boreals was a demon straight away now he's like yeah that's that's a bloody demon that is he's picking it up he's getting it (laughs) yeah yep 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 um and he hears an intake of breath from lyra behind him because she's seen it too he tells lyra to go back through the other window and through and throw some stones at the study to distract them so that he can grab the alethiometer and they can get the fuck out of there. Then we have like Mrs. Coulter calling the master foolish, which I'm not here for. Don't do that. Nasty. And I kind of, um, I suppose this kind of slipped my mind in a way, but I kind of forgot that Mrs. Coulter doesn't know that Lyra can read the alethiometer. Yeah. So she's like, why? Why would you give it her? Love the trend of people underestimating Lyra. It's such a brilliant flaw for a villain to have, is to, like, underestimate your protagonist. Like, I'm so here for it. Definitely, definitely. So then um, Boreal tells Mrs. Coulter how he came across Lyra. There's a bit here, which I don't don't want to go so far as to say that I admire Boreal in this moment, because I would never say that. How dare I? But I do like how frank he is here. So he says, I saw her using it in a museum in the city. I recognised her, of course, having seen her at your cocktail party all that time ago. And I realised that she must have found a doorway. And then I realised I could use it for a purpose of my own. So when I came across her a second time, I stole it. And Mrs. Coulter says, you're very frank. And he says, no need to be coy, we're both grown up. And I kind of wish that he'd employed that sense of like just frankness throughout the rest of the conversation because it would have been a, a lot quicker um, if he'd have been that frank about everything that he was talking about. Yeah, it's like no need to be coy, but I have been coying around for the last 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> that's not how that works. I think he's, again, he's is he being frank or is he showing off? And also is he choosing the wrong thing to show off about? Because again... He's insulted this woman's daughter and now he's admitting to stealing from her Mm. and like manipulating her. And I feel like he's perhaps uh, edging his foot closer and closer to his mouth. (laughs) True. Very true. Very true. Yeah. I like that they they both agree that Lyra doesn't lack nerve. She definitely doesn't. Mm -hmm. She doesn't. That is our Lyra. And I love it. He's about to tell her about the knife when a stone comes through the window and breaks it. Classic Lyra. I, I feel like Will was maybe saying like, throw some stones out the window so it like makes a little noise so they'll go and look. Not like throw a fucking rock through the window. I'm so here for it. I imagine it as like, maybe the first one, she didn't realise it was going to go through and she's like, oh fuck. And then she's just like, well, we're all in now, baby. And like just keeps throwing them. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, I love it. It's classic Lyra. I'd love to fucking see it. Like maybe she thought it was double glazed and it was just single glazed and she was like, oh no. Shit. <laughs> yeah. There's so much drama in this bit, in this section now. It's so like dramatic and tense and I love it. The roller coaster has reached its peak. Yes. We're about to drop people. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep, 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 yep. So Charles, they get up from the sofa to like look at all these fucking stones that are like flying through the window. 
And then Will leans forward, snatches the alethiometer from the table, thrust it into his pocket and darted back through the window. As soon as he was on the grass in Chittagatse, he felt the air for those elusive edges, calming his mind, breathing slowly, conscious all the time that only feet away there was horrible danger. <sighs> I'm sorry to just be an audiobook, but this image... You know how there's bits of the book that just like stick in my head as like really clear images? Yeah. This is one of them. When I was trying to remember this chapter, this is what I thought of. Yeah. Then came a screech, not human, not animal, but worse than either. And he knew it was that loathsome monkey. By that time, he'd gotten most of the window closed, but there was still a small gap at the level of his chest. And then he leapt back because into that gap, there came small furry golden hands with little black fingernails. And then a face, a nightmare face. The monkey's teeth were bared, his eyes glaring, and such a concentrated malevolence blazed from him that Will felt it almost like a spear. Another second and he would have been through, and that would have been the end. I'm so obsessed with it. But Will was still holding the knife and he brought it up at once and slashed left, right, across the monkey's face, or where the face would have been if the monkey hadn't withdrawn just in time. And that gave Will the moment he needed to seize the edges of the window and press them shut. It's so tense. Mm -hmm. Never has a monkey been so terrifying. And that image of him, like, in midair, this, like, monkey's poor and, like, angry face, like, grabbing at you yeah. is just so vivid for me. And I might I might try to draw it, but I oh might also might fail. <laughs> so don't hold me to that. <laughs> oh, one. Um, do you know what I love about this the most is that you're like, okay, fuck, phew, he's through. He's closed the window. It's all good. And then the next bit is like... Now he's got to go back and help Lyra. And you're like, oh no, Lyra's still there. And there's more <laughs> yeah. tension to happen. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the little, we've gone to the top, we've done like the little dip and we're about to go back up again and do another yeah. dip <laughs> on the yeah. roller coaster of tension that this chapter is. Exactly, exactly. So this whole section, he's got to go back to get Lyra. He doesn't know where she is. Nobody knows where she is. Like the monkey's like prowling around. Obviously they don't know it's Lyra, but they... They're assuming that there's somebody outside because they threw the rocks through the window. So they're like walking around the front of the house. Fucking Charles has got a fucking gun. Ew. That's how you know he's a posh twat. Mm. Because like you full well know that that's registered so that he can go fox hunting or some bullshit. You know that. Like, ugh, ugh, ugh. I'm sorry. The (laughs) U. We don't do guns in the UK. And the general thing is like you're either a farmer or a posh git. Or it's very, very, very illegal and you're some kind of like pro- proper hardcore criminal if you've got a gun. That's the kind, there's like three things. Farmer, yeah. posh git, criminal. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no like oh. normal gun owners. No. No. Oh, fuck off. Fuck off, Boreal, and your fucking gun. I'm just not here for it. Ew. And the way like there's a bit where he like turns the safety off and you just imagine how fucking smug he must be. Ugh. He very well suspects that the person that he's probably shooting at is going to be the daughter of the woman that he's been trying to like get get in the favour of, get on the good side of, been like showing off to you this whole time. Like, yeah. mate, what are you doing? Ugh. Those things are deadly. <laughs> God. Ugh. And then something jumps out of a bush and it's the cat. Yay. Yay. We love the cat. We do. Uh, the cat and the monkey have a fight, which I fucking love. I love that the cat is having a fight with the monkey. It's great. I'm so sorry. No, go. Before that, I have my 
editing question to ask oh, yes. you. Yes. The woman herself was beautiful. Will saw that with shock. Lovely in the moonlight, her brilliant dark eyes wide with enchantment, her slender shape light and graceful. But she snapped her fingers, the monkey stopped her once and leapt up into her arms. What does it say for you? Does she have brilliant dark eyes? She does. Okay, that's fine. Mm. I just thought I'd check. No, she's got dark eyes. Dark eyes. We can cut this segment entirely then. <laughs> <laughs> we can leave it in. Um, I actually, I'm glad you brought that up actually, because that's a really nice like description of Coulter. And also it really shows how much control she has over the monkey. And I know that they're one being, and I know it says that Will realises that, that they're one being, but the fact that she can just snap her fingers and the monkey jumps into her arms. If you think about Lyra and Pan, Lyra would never do that to Pan. Pan would know, like, they're, they're more connected than that. Like, she, she would never have to order Pan around, I don't think. She would ask him nicely, or she would, like, be like, oh, come on, and he'd, like, jump up. I can't see her being, like, it's very formal. It's very mm, formal. Definitely, yeah. Um. So, yeah, back to the monkey and the cat fight. Love to see it. We don't love to see it, that poor cat. No, but like I love to see that the cat is like defending people, although the cat's oh, just definitely. been a cat. But yes, great. and I love the description of the cat. Um, the monkey fell on his paws facing the cat, and the cat arched her back, tail raised high, and stood sideways on, hissing, challenging, spitting. <laughs> and it just, the image in my head of the cat is 100% the image of a cat that walks past a mirror and sees itself yeah. and they like immediately jump and they do that like sideways like crab totter along yeah yeah yeah. i just love it's such a poor cat i'm I sure know. it's very scary for them but it's such a hilarious image and i just i love it like the way they make themselves so big and then they like scuttle along sideways and i love it that this cat was just like oh hell no i'm not i'm not taking this shit of course i'm gonna fight this fucking monkey yes <laughs> we love her we do we do and then that gives lyra the opportunity to run through the window cat saves the day again we love it i love it and i love that lyra says to will well obviously they get through the window he closes it up they're safe lyra says to will uh will says i hope the cat's all right she's like my moxie she's probably gone home now in her own world again she'll be all right and Lyra says, you know what I thought? I thought she was your demon for a second. She done what a good demon would have done anyway. Oh. We rescued her and she rescued us. Oh, oh she no. did. She did. Uh, her debt is paid. They're equal. And she's gone off it back into her own world. And I love that cat. Oh. <laughs> and I love the mention of Moxie and that Will's such a cat person. Yeah. And... Yeah, I also love, I wrote down somewhere, I love how much the cat loves Will because Will consistently ignores the cat. Like, he's there for the cat. He knows how to interact with it, but he ignores the cat. And that is 100% the person in the room that deliberately ignores the cat is always the person that a cat will go to. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) When I'm in the room with a cat, that cat can feel the desperation for the cat to love me rolling <laughs> off of me and it avoids me because I'm yeah. so obsessed with getting the cat to like me. Whereas someone else in the room that's just ignoring the cat and trying to live their life, the cat will be obsessed with and yeah. want to sit on. And that's kind of the relationship that Will has with the cat and I'm so here for it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Absolutely. I am... Um, what, what I'm not here for is like this end bit with Lyra where she's just like completely like pandering to will like i know she wants to look after him but 
Uh, she's like, we'll be safe now. We've got the alethiometer back. You'll see. I'll do nothing now except help you find your father. I promise. And uh, I'm just like, I'm not here for it. Yeah. I feel like in some ways I'm not here for it, but I very much understand it as a thing that needed to be said as a nice like closing point on the chapter mm. of like, and now we're going to set course for where we're going next. And that is the new goal is Will's dad because mm. the alethiometer is back. And it's like, it's like at, at the end of a, you finish a level of a video game and you've achieved your like first goal. And then immediately your next goal gets brought up on the screen and the next goal is find Will's dad. <laughs> yeah, I think... I think it's a choice of wording that I don't like. So her saying, I'll do nothing but help you find your father now. Like, I will do nothing but do that. And it's just like, no. We we get it. You're going to help him. But yeah, She maybe. could just say, thanks for helping me get the alethiometer. I know that you're in loads of pain. Let's get you looked after in terms of your hand and work out what to do next together. Yeah. But yeah. she doesn't. She just like pledges her allegiance to him. Yeah. And also like... Again, let's not forget that she's a child. She's had a lot of people in her life have abandoned her. She will, like, with Will feeling angry towards her, she probably feels that vibe and she's scared that he's going to leave her uh, on her own. And I get it. I love the list of things that she does to, like, prove herself in some ways because she's like, I'll put some coffee on to cook. I'll make some omelette. Whatever you want, we'll sleep. We'll be safe now. But, like... She's like, look, I can, I can be independent. I can look after you. Yeah. And it's, I feel they've passed a point together where she should feel that need to prove her worth. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think her feeling bad about what happened has just gone on a little bit too long. Um, I think that's the issue here. It's like, she needs to kind of get over that now and just be like, look, I fucked up and I'm sorry, but I don't need to continue to like pander to your every fucking whim or what I think your every whim is. Cause like Will's not really asking her to do much to be fair. She's just like- um, Overcompensating. Yeah, exactly. Very much so. And then they go off into the fancy white house in the middle of the park land they that they're in because they're done with the calf that they were staying in before. Yeah. Now they're new, in the fancy house. <laughs> new setting for both of them. Love it. Yeah. What's the next chapter called, Rich? The next chapter is called The Shaman. Cool. I'm excited. Do you have an award? I feel like we might have the same award to give. I mean, there was no way that this award was ever going to not go to that cat. Yeah, same. It's, it's for the cat. <laughs> Two awards she for gets- the cat two awards for that cat she's gone she's living her life in the world now we might not get to see her again she definitely deserves an award <laughs> she does i'm glad that she's home as well i'm glad that she's home i bet there might there's probably a family that have been looking for her oh god all the missing cat posters like posted along that road with the hornbeam trees yeah. on every tree oh, no. <laughs> hopefully she'll find her way back to her home she's like halfway across town <laughs> she'll find her way back she will catch you with that <laughs> Speaking of awards or rewards, we are still running our giveaway whereby if you leave us a review and screenshot that review when it's posted and send us an email with that screenshot in, we will enter you into a competition to win some HDM pod merch. 
we've got some awesome stickers and bookmarks and they're really cool and if you want a chance to get some leave us a positive review a screenshot it email it to us herdartmaterialspod at gmail.com we'll pull a bunch of names out of a hat at the end when we hit 50 reviews because that seems to be the magic number the internet demands (laughs) (laughs) yes please give us five stars and say nice things if you enjoy the podcast it really helps Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Her Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at HDMPod. You can email us at herdartmaterialspod at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. We also have a shop where you can buy merch featuring all original artwork from Rach. You can find it at hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. I'm Faye, and when I'm not talking about Lyra and Pan, you can find me hanging out on Twitter and Instagram at Faye which is F-A-Y-E-L-E triple Y. And if you want to read some of my old blog posts, I'm on Medium at Faye.ducker. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about how much I love that bloody cat, I'm making cute and magical arty things. You can find me over on Instagram at rachemakes, on Twitter at rach underscore makes, and over in my online shop, rachemakes.co.uk. A huge thanks as always to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings. And we'll see you in two weeks' time. And don't forget, keep telling stories. And all will be well. 